In reality, Brent and Faith have a lot more in common than we know. You know, let's turn our Bibles to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. It says, and we're going to talk a little bit about faith, and we're going to jump into this thing about grit, but I really want to give a common definition here, especially when we talk about faith. It says, uh, now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. That is the biblical definition of faith, right? That's the definition of faith, period. Confidence that someone's going to keep their promise. Hear me on this. Confidence that someone's going to keep their promise. Now the next verse, most people kind of glaze over, but I think it makes a huge point that I don't want us to skip over. Verse 2, it says, this, this kind of faith is what the ancients were commended for. The author goes on to list examples of men and women in the Old Testament that demonstrated this example of faith. Goes on to talk about Moses, Jacob, Sarah, Rahab, all of these people. They were commended not because they came up with something and talked God into it. Did y'all catch that? It wasn't because they came up with something and talked God into it. We're going to do this and God's going to be with us. That's not the type of faith that's being described here. We're going to go here and God's going to bless it. That's not the faith that's being defined here. That's not faith. That's magic. That's what that is. And we're not sorcerers here. We're Christians. They were committed because God made them a promise and they lived as if God was going to do what he said he was going to do. That's what they were commended for. So faith is the confidence that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. And walking by faith, walking by faith is living every single day as if God can be trusted. As if God will keep his promise. That's what it means to walk by faith. Now get ready for this. I want y'all to catch this. The next verse. Oh, projector went out. Y'all got your Bibles. Next verse. Verse 13, right? Verse 13, it says, All these people were still living by faith. That means they were getting up and living like God is going to do what he said he was going to do. And they died. It goes on, it says, They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Y'all caught that? They got up every day living as though God is going to do what he said he's going to do. And then they died. And it didn't come to fruition. They didn't see it. They saw it from a distance, but they didn't touch it. They didn't feel it. They didn't experience it. You know, God told Abraham that I'm going to create a nation through you. And the whole world will be blessed through you. This is the promise that God gave Abraham. Abraham heard that promise when he was how old? Anybody know? 
75. Say I'm so spiritual. You know what I'm saying? 75, right? Somebody read their Bible. <laughs> 75, right? At the age of 75, you heard that promise. Now, how old did Abraham live to be? 175. 175, which means he lived a hundred years, a hundred years, and died. And Abraham never saw the promise come to pass. One hundred years. So not only Abraham didn't see the promise, Jacob never saw the promise. Isaac never saw the promise. The nation of Israel, Israel was established, and they never saw it fulfilled. Moses and so on and so forth, they never saw it. They never saw the promise that the, that the world will be blessed through them. They didn't see it. Yet there was always a group of people that believed that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. There was always a group of people that held on, even though day after day, year after year, they didn't see it come to pass. But they still held on. It goes on to say in verse 36, that some face jeers, that means people mocking them, and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning, they were sawn in two, they were killed by the sword, they went about in sheepskins, goatskins, destituted, persecuted, and mistreated. Then there's a dash. Now this dash is really unique. There's a dash there. As though the author pauses for a moment. As though the author kind of pauses, like, let me, like, reflecting on what he just wrote. The trials and tribulations of these men and women who held on to a promise that they did not see fulfilled in their lifetime. That underwent so many trials and obstacles for something that they did not see fulfilled in their lifetime. He paused and thought about it. All these exploits from great men and women to stories that are all connected. And every last one of these stories were leading to where? They were all leading to the cross. Because that was the fulfillment of the promise. They were all leading to the cross. And the author sitting on the other side of the cross. Right? In the, the New Testament, he's sitting on the other side of the cross. And he's saying, what if they gave up? What if they gave up? What if they stopped trusting? What if they stopped waiting? What if they stopped believing? What strength it took to keep believing? What faith it took to continue to persevere? What courage it took to keep pushing forward? And in the midst of all this reflection and all this observation, he writes this after that dash. He says, in verse 38, the world is not worthy of them. The world is not worthy of them. See, I feel he stopped and thought about this for a minute. 
And how hard it, how sometimes hard his life may be as an author. I know when I read it, I think about how hard my life could be, right? At times when you want to compromise. When he sat down and he reflected on all his complaints, all his doubts, how he wanted to abandon God because God didn't come through with the job he wanted. How he might have wanted to abandon God because he's still single. How he wanted to walk away from God because these things that he desired weren't coming to fruition like he expected. How he wanted to abandon God because his life is not what he planned it to be at this time. And he said the world was not worthy of these men and women. Men and women that had such genuine faith, the world was not worthy of them. Men and women that had such selfless faith, the world was not worthy of them. Men and women that had such trusting faith, the world is not worthy of them. True biblical faith is knowing God's plan and believing that he's going to make do on his promise. Not knowing your plan and waiting for God to fulfill it. That's not biblical faith. That's not it. See, I had a plan. I came to New York with a plan. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. You know, I'm going to come here in the same way things worked out in Atlanta, it's going to just work out here. I remember sitting in one D group after just jacking up royally spiritually. Sitting in the D group with Troy, who I was terrified of back in those days. Buddy, these guys are little D group, Gene, and they were like, Paris, we don't think you're ready for this. You might need to go home. You're prideful, you're arrogant. Yeah, no, I am. Yeah. <laughs> to hear that is encouraging. Oh my gosh. Here comes the pride, right? <laughs> it was like, and y'all know Sean, he didn't hold, he didn't hold back. He didn't hold back. That brother went in. And they all went in. They just took turns. I was like, I had never sit in a circle with y'all ever in my life. <laughs> it challenged me. And I sat back and I was like, man, what's God doing? What's God doing? I struggled so much. First, I struggled with them. You know, not knowing that years later, Troy would be sitting down with me getting a pedicure. You know what I mean? Taking me to get my first pedicure before I got married. Yeah, I put it out there. Alright? That big old truck dragged me before I got married. He's like, nah, bro, you need to take care of yourself. I'm going to show you. Took me to get a pedicure. Alright? Big old truck. <laughs> That's the first and last time I ever got that. Just let y'all know. Alright? But. That's his monthly routine. Anyway, so, you know, <laughs> I was paid after that rebuking. Alright, now. <laughs> and so we went, you know, and I had to pull back like, man, God, what are you, what are you teaching me here? Because what I had envisioned isn't coming to fruition. And the problem was, is that I was looking at my goals, my plans, my way of the outcome, the way I expected this to work out. I was looking at what God promised. Because God didn't promise that. That's not what the scriptures say. 
I don't know what you might think God has a promise and told you your life's going to look like, but you might want to check it out with the Bible and see if it lines up. Because there may be some contradiction here. See, God said, these gods, they had that type of faith where they, and they were commended for basically like whatever God said, they believed that God was going to do it and they just, their goal and their purpose is just to remain obedient. I just want to be in line with God's will. I just want to be in line with God's plan. And so they were fighting to be obedient and trusting throughout the process. It's like the sixes. Trust the process. You know? They had to trust it. They had to focus. What happened to this type of faith? What happened to this type of heroic faith? This type of selfless faith? This type of faith that caused people to stop and stare? That challenged people? Put them in awe. When did we become so selfish with our faith? So much more about God doing my will instead of me doing God's will. Here's what's powerful about their faith. None of them saw the promise come to fruition in their lifetime. None of them. And the question I have to ask myself after read this, I'm like, why? That's cold-blooded. God, why, why would you do that? They, they held on. They were faithful. They tried. They died. You couldn't show them a little something? Give them a bone? Right? I, I, you know, I'd be talking to the Bible like, God, what happened? You know, it was, it was a conversation here. Like, and, and then, verse 40. Verse 40 says, since God had planned something better for us. Did you catch something better for who? Us. So that only together with us would they be made perfect. What? It's like God's mindset was always focused on who? See, we be, we're so focused on the now, God's thinking about tomorrow. He's thinking about the future. We're just caught up in today. We're part of a larger story. They were part of a larger story. It wasn't just about their life. Their life was a chapter in a larger book. And that's the same with us. Think about it. We're here, 2,000 plus years later, celebrating the fulfillment or completion of God's plan through Christ. We're here today, men and women, literally all over the world, all over the world right now, are celebrating the birth, life, and death of a Jewish carpenter. Right now. Everywhere all over the world who was the son of God and the completion of their faith in Christ. They were looking forward and were faithful. Everyone in the Old Testament, they were focused on and faithful to what God said he was going to do and they were waiting to see the fulfillment of his plan. They were looking forward and were faithful. We are looking back and we could be fearful. 
They were looking forward and were faithful. We're looking back and we're fearful at times. God promised Abraham. God fulfilled it through Christ. Jesus rose from the dead. The church was launched. It was tried. It thrived. Yet still we are here and we could be so fearful. The promise has been fulfilled. History don't dispute it. Jesus lived. The church was launched. And we are looking back at all these promises fulfilled. And like, but God, where you at though? But where, where you at? I don't, I don't see you. I don't, I don't see you working. We as Christians should be the most confident, curious, composed, and courageous people on the planet. On the planet. Not because what God has done. I mean, not because what God has promised, but because what he's done. Because what he's done. Like, we're living in the fulfillment. You're there. But in order to have this type of faith, you need to have grit. you got to have a perseverance that's going to hold you on for the long haul. On a future purpose. And my question is, have we lost our grit? See, the thing that the Bronx has taught me, the thing that I'm walking away with from the Bronx in my time here is the grit that I have learned here through the men and women in this church that have grit, that persevere. And so, I have my own little acronym for grit. That I want to share with y'all. It's probably not as flashy as uh, Sam's, but this is mine. In order to live a life of grit, in order to live a life of grit, you need to have guts, resilience, integrity, and truth. This is what you need. These are the things that I have learned from the Bronx. This has been the lesson. Guts. Guts is to have the courage to confront those situations, people, and things that invoke fear in us in order to maintain righteousness. You gotta have guts. You cannot be a punk and be a Christian. That's just it. It just don't work that way. It, it, it can't happen. Everyone has guts. If you don't, you wouldn't be in here. You'd be dead. We all have guts. The question is, are you using them or not? You know, I have a lot of scriptures here that kind of hit on to that point about how God is there for us. Galatians 1.10, it says, am I not trying to win? Am I not trying to win the approval of people, but of God? And if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Sometimes we let people stop us from being the man and woman God called us to be. If you can't walk around in fear of what people are going to think and think you're going to be a Christian, it ain't going to work. It doesn't work. He said, if that's the case, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's real for you. That's real for Paul. It's real for all of us. 
Psalms 56 verse 3 it says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise in God, whose word I praise in God, I trust, and I am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? You got to have your faith and trust in God. That should propel you to be bold and courageous no matter what your circumstance is. I don't know your story. There's something that you need to confront with God, but you need to confront it. And you got to have that courage to do it. You know, and there's some more scriptures there, but another thing I want to share is resilience. You got to have resilience. You need to have resilience. And resilience here is an unwavering and stubborn trust that makes you unmovable. I've seen that by so many men and women in the Bronx here. Just resilience. Don't give up on God's plan. Don't give up on God's plan. Obstacles come not to hurt you, but to strengthen you. Things might be uncomfortable now, but don't let go. Don't let go. You're part of a bigger story. Your perseverance, your resilience could lead and become faith for someone else. Hold on. Galatians 6, 9, we know that scripture, right? What does it say? There you go. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at a proper time, what? You will reap a harvest in? You can't give up. You can't give up. You got to hold on. I know it's hard. But again, obstacles don't come to hurt, especially in Christ. They come and they strengthen us. Another thing here is integrity. Integrity. Integrity is being the same man or woman in public and in private. <laughs> now this is hard. Let's keep it 100, right? This is hard. And yeah, we're a church of accountability and discipling, right? But just because you have an accountability partner, a discipling partner, that don't mean you're honest. Right? Yeah, go ahead. I always just say, right, if you, the disciple party is there, you need to look at them because they got something to talk to you about. <laughs> it's, but it's real. That is real. You know, the definition of integrity here, and I love this definition, it's the state of being whole and undivided. That's another one of the definitions here. The state of being whole and undivided. Church, hear me on this. Don't play church. If at home or in private, you're not doing the church. But here's another challenge. Don't play worldly if your spirit is screaming to be true to the world. Don't play worldly. Because see, we can have that duality here. Sometimes we can be running around, hallelujah, praise God, amen, parents. And then you go home and you... Sh- <laughs> You know. And then you can have times when you in the world and you trying to act like, yeah, I'm, I'm with y'all, I'm, I'm worldly, I got this girl. And you know good and well the Holy Spirit's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you here? 
Why are you doing that? Why are you talking to her like that? Why are you hanging with them like that? That's not you. That's not you. Stop being divided. Stop playing that. The Bible says here in Proverbs 11, 3, it says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. The unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. What is he saying here? Stop playing games. Just be real. Be real. If you jacked up, be jacked up in the church so you can get the help you need to get. It's okay. Because guess what? We all jacked up. That's just reality. We all got a little something we're showing. And we try to put that on and tighten it up. And like, nah. We all messed up. Go ahead and be real right here and get the help you need to get. And stop acting worldly in the world when you know that ain't your life. Now I'm talking to these kingdom kids. But y'all know better. These campus students, that y'all know better. Don't play games. You know. And you know when you're out there, you're going against your spirit. You're going against what you know to be true and right. Integrity will reward you, but duplicity will destroy you. Truth. The final one. I felt I really learned this here. Truth. Is to have deep convictions about God's word and God's way of life. This is something I've seen clearly laid out by so many men and women in the Bronx. Deep convictions about God's word and God's way of life. You know, sometimes we could, in order to do all these things that, that we just talked about, all of this, you gotta have a deep conviction about God's word and his promises. We just read all these things that the ancients were commended for. They were commended for holding on to the things that God promised. They didn't let go of that. John 8, verse 31, it says, To those, to the Jews who believe in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples, and you will know the what? And the truth will what? Set you free. You want to be free? You gotta hold on to the truth. But holding on to that truth means you gotta hold on to it when you don't feel like that promise is coming to fruition. I don't see it. Is it gonna happen? You know, I wanna share this, this final quote here. Greatness, greatness requires eternal toughness. That is true. That's grit. But over time, Grit is what separates fruitful lives from aimless ones. Sticking to it, not giving up. You know, I remember during that time, so after I heard that sermon, I, uh, I was like, you know what? I need, to, I need to have more faith. I'm not going to quit. You know, one of our prayers back then was that we want the Bronx ministry to grow, especially the campus ministry. We're like, yeah, they were talking about like, the campus ministry was never over 50. You know, like, that was always a prayer. We're like, man, we want to pray for our campus ministry to grow. That was our prayer, you know, to see that happen back then. And then we 
went through this time, and I, I, I'll never forget this. Um, I sat back, and I left that jacket service like, I'm going to really fight. And it wasn't an easy ride. It was a roller coaster. I got challenged. I learned a lot. Um, but it was funny because after those, uh, you know, once I stopped, I was like, I'm not going to be about my plan. It's going to be about God's plan. I didn't give up the first baptism we had in the Bronx Amen. campus ministry. Our first baptism was this short little lady that was walking around on leaving college. And I didn't know what God's plan was. But years later, that short little lady, that first baptism, ended up being my wife. So I didn't become you know, and it's, it's funny how if I would have quit, <laughs> if I would have let go, Lord knows, I could have lost away from my life. You know, and again, that's not saying that if you hold on, you're going to find a spouse. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Don't you a set. No, 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 no. If you hold on, you don't know what God's going to do for you. And you'll miss out on God's plan. You know, reality is this. My 12 years in the Bronx, I've seen a lot. We've seen a lot of things happen in our ministry. The Bronx, at most, paid staff that we've had at any one time has been like two couples. Historically, for a ministry of over 400 people. Right? Two couples. Marcos, Tito, Tito, Sam, me and Will, Will and Paris, Will and on me, Sam and Paris. Just two people. Two couples. Historically, for a ministry of over 400 disciples, how does this ministry keep going? How does this ministry continuously, year after year, be a model of baptisms for the New York City Church? When it was so grossly understaffed. How did this happen? How did this ministry continue to give sacrificially? How did this ministry continue to grow and give and love and persevere? It's because the Bronx is the definition of grit. This ministry is the definition of grit. 100%. You know, men and women who take church personally... Many women who don't have easy lives, and they may complain coming to church, but y'all come. <laughs> and you come. You know, you get here. Men and women that should be strung out on a whole lot of things, but have given up that type of stuff and have given their lives to Christ as servants and strung out on God. Men and women who have been divorced. Marriages that should have been destroyed. People are together, fighting because of God, supporting and loving each other because of the Lord. They reconcile because of God. Men and women who should be raising kids alone out now have a spiritual family to support them. I have seen incredible things in this ministry. Men and women who are overcomers, fighters, and true believers. That's this ministry. 
You know, one of the things that Will used to say, and I always held on to this quote from Will Ashley, he would say, you plus God is the majority in any situation. And that's this ministry. Regardless of who's here, this ministry plus God always has the majority. Always. Do not give up. Don't quit. Have grit, guts, resilience, integrity, and truth. And watch what God does with this ministry. And to God be the glory. Discipleship, uh, you brought great joy and laughter to our lives. I mean, we all have so many fond memories of them and so many stories we could tell about Paris. He left out, he left out quite a few details, especially in that dating situation. That he met. The first girl baptized was his, going to be his wife. He had no idea. He was. Yeah, it took, it, it took, and it took other meetings with brothers in small groups 
to bring about this amazing transition. But we just want to say from the bottom of our hearts how much we love you and how you're in our prayers and we know that God's going to bless you in a great way for it moving on.